in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And just like that, the Watching Comics podcast is back where we bring you the most trusted takes and opinions on the intersection of comic book entertainment, hitting your screens both big and small, because it's the 21st century, and watching comics is literally a thing. It's an exciting time to be alive. My name is Mitch. My co-host is Jake. We're just a couple of geek dads coming at you from the heartland. Here we are with our takes and our geekery. Jake, how's it going? It's going really well. Thank you for asking. You're, you're always very courteous, you know, and you always... You always make this into a, a real friendly event, and I really appreciate that. How are you today, friend? Well, I'm good. I'm just trying to be friendly and trying to do my part. You're good at it. <laughs> it's, it's not too bad, man. We're doing okay. Plugging along. It's all we can do. So, uh, yeah, we're, we like to share this community and, and good energy and, and represent non-toxic fandom. What's the opposite of toxic? Like healthy? Uh, anti-toxin? But that doesn't work here. Anti yeah, I don't know. This is the wrong episode to litigate that on because we're <laughs> talking second is precious. We're every second is precious. And we're talking about a Zack Snyder property, which means 50% of our listeners are going to love us. And 50% of our listeners are going to hate us. That's usually how it goes, right? I don't know. Um, if you are a first time listener to this podcast, thank you so much for jumping on board. You picked a doozy. Um, so yeah, if you're still on board with us after all of this, then kudos to you. And if you are a returning listener to this podcast, thank you so much for your support over however long you've been jumping on board with us. Uh, we've been around for a little over three years. Jake and I just started off as a couple of guys who said, let's do something together because we're friends. And it's turned into a really cool corner of the internet, which we love. So as always, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod. Also, 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 also. <laughs> I have it under good authority that soon, this spring, before the summer, merch is coming. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Merch. That's it's a super big deal, man. Like it makes me feel so grown up. Yeah, like you're not just a guy with a podcast; you're a guy with a T-shirt about your podcast. Darn right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, it's official once you have merch that you're hawking on Twitter. That's that's when we've hit the big leagues, right? Of indie podcasting. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Like once you can sell something, then you know, then well, I mean, this is the American dream, right? Like capitalism. I, yay. Yeah, I spit my thoughts on comic books out into the ether and somebody buys a shirt for it. So mm -hmm. yeah, man, I whew, jokes on you, literally everyone who knew me the first 30 years of my life. <laughs> back when we had hair <laughs> well you did yeah but you lost yours earlier than i did but we both lost our hair <laughs> earlier than we should have that's <laughs> definitely how it goes oh man okay so this this is it jake it's finally time we have to have the discussion i don't know if you know this you jake co-host and listeners here um but there was a movie that hit hbo max about a week ago it had some people in capes and spandex and it was directed by this guy named zach and um i don't know people are talking about it people watched it surprisingly enough it's got a really hefty runtime so it's a commitment but it's apparently a thing we thought maybe 
maybe we would just dish on it for a little bit here on this good old here podcast and maybe talk about it on that bird app known as Twitter just because, I don't know, kind of want to join the conversation, be kind of fun, be cute, and uh, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Jake, have you heard of this? Is this a thing? It, uh, you know, it's shown up on my news feed a time or two. Uh, I'm maybe everyone I know has asked me my feelings on it. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been there. Sorry, I'm opening it's up what, my notes here. It's what it's one of those things when you post online that you you're entering into the orbit of that movie, then everybody else who views you as the token expert on either movies or comic book entertainment or both, then just starts pinging you with saying, "Let me know what you think," which is cool. I love yeah. being that guy, but it was really I, clearly there were a lot of folks that were maybe in my connection circle that were kind of in that mode of like, I kind of want to watch it, but I don't know if it's worth it. And I don't know, maybe I'll just wait until Mitch and Jake watch it and see. <laughs> I, I definitely have. I mean, here's the thing though. Our, our circle, I guess I'm assuming that our circles overlap a lot, but we do live in the same town. We went we, to the same we college, we went to the same college. We know a lot of the same people. Yeah. Our, our circles include a lot of parents these days. <laughs> and so that I mean, you know, and we we had this discussion on a much smaller scale last week when we were talking with uh, the Geek Hops folks. Shout out Geek yes. Hops, man! That one was fun. Um, they are good peeps over there. I yeah. hope we didn't spoil our opportunity because selfishly, I would love to be with them again. <laughs> they were a good hang. I I would love that. Yeah. Um. No, but when, when we were talking about like that, we wasted an hour and a half of precious non-child time on new mutants you know all i could think about is both regret and applaud that decision (laughs) and all i could think about was like you know at the time i hadn't finished the snyder cut like man i'm not saying i regret it but man four hours of that precious time for, for any of our listeners that don't have kids like you just you can't imagine like and i love spending time with my kids it is my favorite thing being a dad is like the coolest thing i've ever done I, I'm 100% here for it, but when you're 100% here for anything that never ends and you don't get to go home from, every second that you don't have to do it is like manna from heaven. And... <laughs> the, no truer words on this podcast have been spoken. But, yeah. the, but the thing is, is like that's honestly like we were kind of talking about this on Twitter a little bit, the, the difference between the viewing numbers in the first week of Wonder Woman 1984 compared to Justice League, um, which which um, Zack Snyder's Justice League was less. But I was sitting here thinking, like, I, I'm a test. I'm a case study example of it took me a week, to, a little over a week to get to this movie because of the massive time commitment of it and like had to carve some time out and everything. And I think we don't have to litigate the viewership numbers or anything like that, but that's, that's a contributing factor. Whereas wonder woman, 1984 was not four hours and two minutes long and was released over the Christmas holidays when a lot more people watch movies and had a bigger controversy of negativity, toxic conversation surrounding it online. So maybe that attracted more people going like, Oh, I've got to see what this is going on. But like, (laughs) all I have to say is like, I want I wanted to watch, um this movie the night that it dropped and pull an all-nighter but this wasn't a thing i had to get up and work the next day and i've got a couple of kids and and i'm already exhausted even on a day when i get good sleep so like (laughs) that's not throwing shade at anybody other than to say that like it literally requires programming and a little bit of extra effort to carve out something that's going to require this much of a commitment 
And I, I will say for anyone, uh, if you've not caught our, our conversation with geek cops on the new mutants, I, I put this up somewhere. I think it might've been Twitter, but for, listen, whatever we're about to say about the Snyder cut, that four hours was a lot shorter than the 90 minutes I spent on the new mutants. Okay. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I watched, I watched. Okay. Let's, let's tell everybody how we did this, Jake. So how did you watch justice league? And I'll tell you how I watched it. I broke it into four one-hour chunks over the course of a few days. So it was like a Netflix series for you. Yeah, pretty much. And that's kind of, I mean, the the nice thing is I had totally forgotten that they were breaking it into chapters like they did. So I started just doing, I treated it like a book basically. And I did a couple chapters at a time and then just shut it down. That's awesome. I did two two two-hour chunks. Right back on. to back in back to back nights, both of which were later than I should have stayed up. But hey, what are you gonna do? I, you know, and we'll we'll get to this, but I I genuinely would enjoy doing a straight four hour viewing of this to see how it colors the experience, uh, because I do fear that some of the thoughts I'm going to give today are a little colored by the way I watched it. But what are you going to do? You know, I mean, for all the reasons we just broke down, this is what okay. I had. Okay, you just opened up the can of worms, and I think it's totally okay, but you opened up the can of worms of how we consume the movie is going to influence a certain per- percentage of our perspective and take and criticism. How could it yeah. not, right? But this this is, we, we don't have the time to unpack this all. We, we have an, in chunks here and there in different episodes, and a lot of people smarter than us have well as too, but it's the concept of, how are we consuming our movies? How are they being shared with the public? And what, what were they originally meant to be consumed like, right? So I, I would have seen this movie under normal circumstances in the cinema opening weekend. I know that for a fact. I would have gladly sat in a packed cinema house to do that. And I guarantee you. And I, and I know what you mean, but to clarify for listeners, you mean the four-hour edition, correct? The four-hour edition. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. I would have completely done that. And that would have been a little bit different, right? Like as soon as something becomes streamable at minimum, right? At minimum, we're fighting the second screen of scrolling your phone while you're watching something, pausing to go do something, breaking it up, all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying that that necessarily ruins Zack Snyder's vision. I'm just saying that it's possible. I don't know how much to a degree it would be different, but it's possible that my energy towards certain components of this movie would have been different had I been able to watch it in one sitting at a cinema as opposed to watching it on my couch two late nights in a row, breaking it up and texting you in between, right? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we've, we've flirted with this discussion a few times in the last few months, just as we, you know, in the, in the age we're in, we broke down a little bit and I think it was December theaters versus streaming and the new models and all of that. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about that idea that how you consume it affects it and that, you know, studios Studios know how to start the conversation, I think is how I phrased it back then, when it's going to be in theater first and there's that traditional rhythm, but the studios don't always, we're, we're in uncharted territory and we don't even know how to start that dialogue about the art we're about to consume when we're doing it this way. So all that to say, it, it's, it's a literal unanswerable question, which we love, or impossible question, which we love those around here, um, that what would we be discussing right now 
if this had come out in the theater. But you get another layer to it, Mitch, when you consider what would we be discussing if we hadn't watched the original version first, right? Oh, absolutely. And Which that- <laughs> I did last week, right before watching the Snyder Cut. God Such a huge me. wrinkle. Yeah, you fell on the sword for both of us. Um, I've shared on this podcast before that the weed and monstrosity ruined my 30th birthday party. So Jake was willing to rewatch it for the sake of having brought that um, recency into this particular episode on behalf of the podcast. So I didn't have to relive it. So thank you, Jake. You're a real friend. It's what I'm here for, man, is to <laughs> watch crap movies. So you don't have to, but, but thank you. That's, that's honestly why I asked you to be a part of this three years ago. Now you finally <laughs> figured it out um, but before, before we dig into the deep stuff. I do. I, I promised my partner that, um, I would not only give her a shout out, but mention this on the podcast, although it's not going to matter. She doesn't listen to this, but um, (laughs) (laughs) my marriage is fine, but she just doesn't listen to this. Um, But she did ask me a question that I thought was very insightful and also kind of hilarious because I couldn't give her an answer. So um, she asked the day after I finally finished watching it and she was like, so what did you think? And I kind of gave her my thoughts and then she goes, okay, so what is it? Is it a reboot, a remake, a sequel, uh, a, a start again? Like she, she was like, what, what are you calling this? And I was like, um, damn, that's a really good question. I don't know what we call this. How about a remix? Can we call it a remix? <laughs> remix. Or it's, it's maybe, maybe this is, it's, it's the movie version of what Taylor Swift is doing. Taylor Swift <laughs> is in the process of re-releasing everything in her catalog, but in the original version that she wanted to do. And she's in parentheses next to all the song titles on Spotify and streaming platforms, calling it Taylor's version. So you know what it is, right? So maybe it is a remix. Maybe it's, it's, yeah, that's the comp. I don't know. Is, is this part of a larger, I'm going to go way deep and we do not have the time to go way, way into this, but I want to put it out there as maybe even an off the air conversation you and I have one day. Um, <laughs> a text thread that we tweet out later. Right. Yeah. But like, are we seeing, cause I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the Taylor Swift thing. Are we seeing a next chapter right now in the constant struggle between artist and commercialism? Are we seeing the next chapter of that is going to be this push for the artist's original vision with the Snyder cut and the Taylor's version? Is that going to be a thing for a while Uh, or is this just a blip? Well, the thing is, is this has always in some degree been a thing, at least in movies, in movies, it's been a thing, just not nearly the Donner cut and you've got exactly um, right. So like um, Oliver Stone has done that with a couple of his movies, JFK and Alexander both come to mind. He may have done it with others. You know, the Donner cut is another one. Um, I think it's once upon a time in America, Sergio Leone, I could be wrong, has two different Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Like that's not an unheard of thing. I think what's happening now is because of the internet of things is it's just becoming more amplified and possibly happening on a higher clip. Um, So the concept isn't new, but maybe it's going to be oversaturated and watered down a little bit more. So it's not a special, Um, certainly, the noise, I would say, my hypothesis would be to say that the noise around these sorts of things is probably about to reach an all-time high considering the Snyder Cut worked. Mm. 
That's a good observation. No, I think you're probably right. That well, because we're already seeing the clamoring for the the David Iyer cut. I think uh, it was IGN reported. I could be wrong, but I'm trying to credit this correctly. I was scrolling through a lot of stuff on Twitter earlier. Pretty sure it was IGN reported that over a million tweets have been shared on uh, restore the Snyderverse, and the movie's been out for a little over a week. That's yeah. that we're, that's we're, traffic, we're, man. The traffic. We're starting to see what that's going to look like. But the biggest thing I think is, is as far as the viewing habits are concerned is I think we're still another year or two away before we can get close to being more universally understood as to what the original intents were for filmmakers. And by that, I mean, um, especially with HBO, the Warner Brothers HBO thing has been a really huge pain point for the industry. When Warner Brothers went to HBO and said, we're just going to give you our entire 20 to 21 slate. Um, without even worrying about cinemas, which means those were all movies that were contracted, filmed, edited, and produced under the uh, um, impression that they were going to get a cinematic release in some capacity or not, right? And so if you listen to any sort of filmmaker or editor or cinematographer talking about these things in whatever capacity you listen to them on, you've heard them say that one of their biggest things is one, they didn't see it coming, they weren't communicated with, and two, they feel artistically violated because they weren't making a movie specifically for that medium, right? So if this is kind of what we're facing for the next year, year and a half, two years, and you're not making a movie specifically for Amazon Prime or Netflix already, then it's going to take a while for the rest of the industry to catch up to where we can universally say, okay, maybe in 2023, we have the onslaught of all of the studios releasing movies, and they're going to announce before they even start filming which ones are straight to streaming and which ones are getting cinematic runs. And the film filmmakers are able go, are going to go into those projects dictating how they want the projects to be run because they know what medium they're going to be landed on. So that was a really long winded way of me saying that I don't know if our consuming habits conversation around these sorts of things is going to get much more clarity or at least doesn't have an opportunity to get more clarity. Maybe it never will, but it won't have an opportunity to get more clarity until at minimum, the filmmakers can at least all be on the same page with the studios. Right. Does that make any sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. That's uh, yeah. I, I have so many more things I want to go on, but I, I, I kind of want to, I'm going to force myself to get back to the actual topic of this episode. <laughs> oh crap. We watched I'm, a movie. Yeah. Okay. Can I, can I just, can I dive in with the big question of just, what did you think, you know, in a nutshell, and then we'll, we'll break it down, but how'd you feel about the Snyder cut? Okay. Um, great question. I tried to nail it down to just a couple of concepts. So here, <laughs> here are a few things that I am. Conf- all my notes. I know, right. <laughs> here are a few things I'm confident standing on before we get into all the other things that I'm not sure if I really want to say or not. Number one is I liked it more than I thought I would. Number two, it's still not a great movie. Number three, maybe I could have called it a great movie if it was two and a half hours because I definitely didn't need to be four. And I'm not complaining about runtime, all right? Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet is one of my top 20 favorite movies of all time, all right? Don't come at me, y'all. But like, I. But editing is a thing. Editing is a thing. Um, ten, IGN also reported this week that um, over 10%, 10% of this movie was in slow motion, but 10.35 to be specific. But the thing is, is I was more entertained than I wasn't. And honestly, I was, I was 
deathly afraid I was going to be disappointed in this movie just because of all the hype. And I really wasn't. Um, this movie gave me some really great moments that I love that we can talk about later, but there are also some tonal things that were very disconnected or not consistent that I think that they needed to make a different choice with. And we'll talk about that too, but ultimately good, not great. Um, could have flirted with great if they would have just at least started with the runtime issue. Where are you at with this, Jake? I think we're, we're similar. Um, we may, this may be one of those things where at the end of the day, we, we split some hairs just to get some interesting content. Um, <laughs> I think that I will go bold on it and say that it was my favorite of the Snyder verse. Um, really? Yeah. Really? But, but remember, I have a conflicted relationship with all of that to begin with. Maybe. Um, is it, is it fair? I don't know. I'm going to make a huge assus- assumption here right now. Is that yeah. probably because this is the one Snyderverse installment that had the least amount of Superman in it? Because we've, we've talked about how you're not, you're not a huge fan of the way he's approached soups. Well, you know, I want to get to that, but I want to give it a little breathing room because I think I may have finally figured out what it is with me and his Superman approach. Okay. Um, There's a lot to unpack there. There is. So um, maybe you're onto something there. I think ultimately I, I, I really like, I liked the second half a lot more than I liked the first. Yes. Let's um, talk about that. Yeah. I, I thought that the second half, like, well, cause I broke it into those, those four parts. Right. So after the first two parts, I was thinking, yeah, this is fine. Uh, after I watched the finale, though, I, I was really into it. Like, I was more into the last stretch of this movie than I am a lot of superhero films. And I see a lot of superhero films. <laughs> We've chronicled and, a lot of them on this podcast. Right. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if viewing ha- this is where viewing habits come into play. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But, Jake, you and I were texting about this. I watched this movie in, in two different two-hour increments. So I very much had two different movies where the first two hours of the movie is basically one really, 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 oh, yeah. really long Ocean's Eleven, let's get the gang together montage. And the second and the second two hours is the movie where all the stuff happens, right? And so I'm sitting here thinking like the first two hours weren't bad, but if I'm viewing them in a vacuum, I'm like, they didn't need two hours to recruit the justice league. Right. I think it goes back to the original. What the heck about it all. When the DCEU was started and the, the blueprint was laid out was it, everybody was so confused because it seemed like it was being deliberately obtuse about trying to be not Marvel in the sense that Marvel gave us all these films that explored and fleshed out these characters so that their Avengers films wouldn't have to be so many hours of origin story so that we cared about the man in the flag and the man in the wearing mother's drapes. And this movie instead was like, we're going to do movies on Batman and Superman, easily the two characters you need the least exploration of. And then we're going to give you a movie where we introduce every single character and then we'll tell you their stories. And it yes. was just a really weird approach that, you know, uh, there's a reason why the Marvel method worked so well. And I'm not saying DC needs to copy Marvel. I'm just saying there's a logic to the way that they did it that was not to this approach. So I I think there's so much, you know, one thing 
<laughs> I think Cyborg benefited so much in this movie. I'm not alone in that. I think but... Cy- I mean, Cy- if we're being objective, I'd say Cyborg and Wonder Woman won this movie. Um, but Superman was probably my favorite part, but we'll talk about that. But Cyborg, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Cy- Cyborg and Wonder Woman definitely um, were given not just the most agency, but also the best moments and character nuance. Well, I shouldn't say nuance doesn't exist in a Zack Snyder well, and movie. That's, and Char- that's exactly... Character moments in this movie. And, you know, that's the only reason I bring Cyborg up right now is because in my notes, I have this bit about everybody told me Cyborg's story was so much improved. And at first, Cyborg's was letting us have some subtlety and that show me, don't tell me that you and I talk about. They flirted with it. Yeah. And so I took a note that I was like, oh, is Cyborg so much improved because it's the only one that didn't just scream an origin story at me. And then my like three notes later, it says, scratch that last thing about Cyborg. Instead, we did a 20 minute flashback sequence for even less subtlety. Mm -hmm. So it's I, I think that overall, while it is probably my favorite Snyderverse film, I cannot believe that Snyderverse is a word and that I have caved to using it. It's not just a um, word. It's a hashtag, man. It, it's oh, it's in the lexicon. It's a big old hashtag. Um, I think that overall, though, it's it's good. It's not great. And I think that when you get right down to it, we have this fundamental problem that this is still the same movie. And while it is a far superior version Still of Still a lot of Steppenwolf, which you can't say without snickering. <laughs> no, I will say it was, but doing him as an extension of Darkseid and the whole Apocalypse crew, bringing Desaad in where like Darkseid won't even talk to him. That was, it made Steppenwolf, Steppen, Steppenwolf, dear God. It made him a much more... I don't want to say compelling because I wouldn't call him compelling, but it made him a more interesting villain. Um, well, I think th- those are the moments I would say. Um, Steppenwolf, Darkseid, black suited Superman and cyborg were the three big components of the movie that made it glaringly obvious just how badly Whedon messed up this movie. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. Well, and and that's just it is like it's funny because you think before this came out, you ask yourself, what did Whedon even do here? Like the assumption I would have made is, oh, I bet he added all of the quippy stuff with with Ezra Miller's Flash. It turns out, no, he didn't bring that. So now I keep looking at it like, what did he add? I mean, he added Superman trying to play smush face with Batman. And he added that bit about I'm a fan of justice. And otherwise, I think he took away like, more than he added. The only thing he added was yeah. he turned, he turned the lights on. Like he brought exactly color right. to the movie. He took a lot more than he added. That's a great way of saying it. So I don't want to turn this into just working out what didn't work about the other one. I will say my expectations were actually, and I can put this out there with no filter and no trying to be sensitive now that it's over over this will never be over the snyder cut will never be over um so i had this is an era defining moment <laughs> i had really low expectations man a friend me asked me a month ago said hey we're not on your podcast you don't have to be nice to be not toxic just tell me straight up what do you think's going to happen here and i responded with you can polish a turd all you like you're still holding a turd i don't expect anything and that was my exact word. So I'm pleased to say that it turns out we polished the heck out of that turd. And there's something pretty okay there underneath. Um, I do have that <laughs> fundamental problem, though, that this is still 
ultimately the same movie that I didn't like the first time that I now like it is a huge testament to what Zack Snyder has accomplished here. But end of the day, I think there's a glass ceiling on how good this could be because it's still that same movie. Yeah. The expectations thing is I'm so glad that we're both sitting here and saying we're both pleasantly surprised. I, because that's what I wanted. I wanted this movie to be, I wanted this movie to be enjoyable. And I was just so worried that it wasn't going to be. And we don't need to litigate all the reasons behind that, but I I think it's obvious as to why anyone would feel like it probably was set up to, to be a trap, but I, it, it it performed beyond expectations, but we may have overcorrected. It's currently sitting as the number 150th most important movie on IMDb out of the top 250, which just is absurd, but a little high. (laughs) high. Um, um, let's let's talk about what you liked about this movie jay give me a couple things you digged or dug Um, whoa wow i I liked um i liked the ending uh i liked which ending because we got two and one i think i think one was bad yeah oh god we're we're gonna do this we're gonna be completely on the same page are we gonna do the thing are we gonna do the thing where we both said that the closing shot should have been superman pulling his chest open and then credits and then the um dreamscape joker sequence martian sequence should have been like a middle credit in credit thing pretty much only i would say here's my only i know you asked what do i like but i'm gonna go ahead and start with what i didn't um <laughs> i i don't need the nightmare man i don't need it well i certainly don't friggin' need jared leto man at I'm all sure, see that's just it like <sighs> So we turned the worst Joker into an impersonation of the best Joker. What the heck? Like we didn't change it uh, anyway. I will never, I will never understand Hollywood's fascination with that guy. He I, is toxic. He is not a good person, and he's not that good of a performer either. It's all smoke and mirrors with that dude. What? Why are I don't? Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I I just don't need the nightmare. Um, not that it's a bad idea or anything, but I, I have yet to see it fit into the place where it was put, right? Any of the times that we've gotten that flash forward, I understand that this is what it's all building to. I I understand that why it's important. I have yet to feel like it worked in the narrative flow of where it showed up. I, I, I think it's it's it was maybe a mixture of fan service for putting Joker in yep. there, and then they needed a vehicle to put in Martian Manhunter. So so that's the thing. I actually really loved Martian Manhunter though. It was I, great. I, it I was forget, great. I just I don't. Have three times in my notes, it just says Martian Manhunter is so rad. Like, <laughs> I know, right? Three times, and I I don't think I think he only showed up twice. So I don't know where I got that third one. The one, the one testament that we'll ever say in a Zack Snyder movie was, which is less is more. They deployed Martian Manhunter so little, and it was so perfect. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, that's maybe the biggest disappointment to me is that there won't be more Martian Manhunter. For, for what I liked about, don't, movie, don't sell the hashtag short, Jake. Give us another five years, and the Snyderverse will be restored. I, um. You know, you know, Zack Snyder might not want to keep making DC movies. Has okay. anyone asked him no, yet? That's the biggest thing. I actually put this on our Twitter earlier. I saw it and it was a great thought. Which is two things. Number one is it's okay to be, it's possible, dare I say, even maybe the healthy approach to say that you can appreciate 
deeply appreciate everything that Zack Snyder has done for DC movies and also be looking forward to the next projects that are coming that are not influenced by his work. And you know what? The other big thing that I don't see very many people talking about yet, which is what if the guy wants to do other projects? <laughs> like he's been, you see people who had, and, and I'm, I'm assuming some things here, but I would assume that the way that the studio, I, I'm going to overstep a bit and I know I am. So here I go. I, I feel like the studio did him dirty. Um, and I think that, they took advantage, and I'm sure it wasn't as malicious as I'm about to make it sound, but I feel like they took advantage of a tragedy in Zack Snyder's life as an opportunity to go get the only person involved in the MCU that was unemployed at the time and bring him in to hack up Snyder's vision mm. and make something inherently bad. Absolutely. Out of something that, frankly... I'm going to be bold enough to say that I would have liked this movie if it had been the first and only one released. Couldn't that agree it's more. Not just the lowered expectations that it's genuinely a good movie, albeit not great. Um, and I and I feel like all that to say, why are we assuming Zack Snyder wants to work for these guys again? Mm, he may not. Well, it wasn't until HBO stepped in that he was willing to take the project on again. That just did. Now, I don't. I don't know if those dots are connected, but I'll tell you this. Do you know who else agrees with you, Jake? Christopher Nolan. I don't know if I don't know if you read that really long feature about the Snyder cut that came out a month or two ago. I think it was in Variety. Maybe it was in the Hollywood Reporter. It's a long kind of um, expose about the whole process and everything. And there was a bit in there because Christopher Nolan is not just the executive producer of these movies. He's also a dear friend of Zack Snyder and his family. And apparently, if I'm if I'm recalling this correctly, please fact check me, people. I'm pretty sure I am. Um, I believe. Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder's wife. I'm so sorry I'm succumbing her to that. Her name is escaping me right now. But Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder's wife watched the um, Whedon edition of Justice League without Zack before it was released to cinemas. And when it was done, Nolan looked at her and said, you can't ever let Zack watch this. And it's not just because it was bad. It was more about like Nolan watched it and knew what Zach's vision was and saw that the finished product was so far removed from what was intended that it was going to do more damage to Zach's spirit to have him watch it than it would to have him not see it. And that's a testament to good friendship. One thing like shout out to Christopher yeah. Nolan, but also like, I, I don't know. I put credit to what you say, Jake, by, by comparing that to what I read in that article, which is like, there were people involved in this project and close to it and close to the family that all felt the same way to some degree, which is what we were given is not only less than, but a disservice. Well, it's just, and that's just it. People who have good experiences on these franchise films still walk away eventually saying it was fantastic, but I'm exhausted. Chris <laughs> Evans and Robert Downey Jr. No human has benefited more from the superhero surge than Robert Downey Jr. Dear God, he walked away. He said, this was a fantastic thing that I'm glad to have been a part of. I also wanted to maybe make a second movie. You know, like I thought that I would do a one other thing in my life. And they, they consume your time. And they that's do. not, and that's well, the Russo brothers couldn't have signed their Netflix contract fast enough after oh, they finished right? up. Like they, they, because it was like, they were so again, grateful for what they were able to do, but also like, okay, artistically speaking, I got to try something different for a bit. Well, and everyone, I mean, you and I, I'm, we've left projects, works, jobs before 
where we've said this was a fantastic opportunity and now it's time to move on. So I say all that to say you can be grateful for and love something while still being sick of it, right? Mm -hmm. And all that to preface this when I say, I would be hard pressed to believe that that was Zack Snyder's experience working with this studio. I, I just don't understand why everybody... Has anyone stopped to ask him? That's all I'm saying. Have we asked Zach if he wants to keep making these movies? And if he does, I, I'm mildly interested. <laughs> it's another conversation for another day. We'll watch him. Yeah, right. So here's here's what I liked <laughs> to get back to your question of 10 minutes ago. Um, I like this episode's going to be two hours long. Oh, God, it's going to be our Snyder cut. So, um, yeah, so be it. <laughs> well, we haven't even talked about the Snyder cut of the Snyder cut, which is the black and white edition. I, I, anyway, I can't, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I want to, I can't, I don't have it in me. Um, I can't watch three different justice leagues in a week, Mitch. Um, <laughs> I think like, they're calling we, it justice is gray, which is they are, but like what, why? Uh, because why not at this point, which is um, the same question as to why the 4.3 aspect ratio. I'm sorry. What did we like about this movie? I liked the heck out of Ray Fisher, man. And I, I you want to talk about somebody who, who the studio did dirty. Oh, dear. The God. first time I, around. I don't even have the energy to get into that. That's we, its we own can't, episode. But, but the, the fact that he came out at the end of this being one of the people that gets to stand on the mountaintop is not just a feel good story, but it's right. And for, for wow. seriously, no pun intended, it's justice. Like he yeah, deserved absolutely. To, 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 to be on every red carpet and every um, mountaintop saying like, dude, you owned this role and you were given a chance to really anchor this movie. Here's the thing. He was already one of the only things that really worked for me about the Justice League film, mm. the first version. His cyborg, and I had forgotten this completely, and when I rewatched it, I remember my biggest takeaway being, and this is you know like the day before the Snyder Cut hits, I remember my biggest takeaway being, if he can do that with that, I am excited to see him in the Snyder version. Absolutely. And he, he delivered, man. He was excellent. His character had a meaningful arc and he, and I know we've talked about that Snyder does opera instead of subtle. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that you've, you've made it a lot more fun for me to watch his stuff by bringing <laughs> that to my attention. We have to, it's the only way to, it's the only lens to view his stuff and actually like be able to walk away saying like, okay, that made sense. Well, here's the thing though. Like, Ray Fisher still brought subtlety to what was in an operatic thing. Mm. And in, in moments like, and I'm not saying no one else did all of the actors in this. I love the casting. That's another thing I love. I think that the actors elevated, you want to talk about polish a turd, the, the Whedon version, they, you know, they did so much with so little and it still was terrible. Um, all, all of the core heroes that were yeah. cast in, cast in, in these movies, stand among some of the strongest casting in the comic book movie arena. Yes. Like I don't, I don't think fantastic. J from Jason Momoa to Gal Gadot to Henry Cavill to Ben Affleck to Ray Fisher. Like it, I, I would say the only one I would be tempted to recast is Ezra Miller, but like all of them are, they fit the characters so well. Yeah. I, I thought that Ray Fisher just brought just so much to the role. And I, I felt like more than any other character I was watching a believable superhero origin where when it was done, I was like, that guy's a hero. I totally believe yeah. the journey that he has taken, 
more than some origin movies. You know, I, I was really into cyborg, um, which is weird because I've texted you that I absolutely hate the visuals on cyborg, this version. <laughs> and it's not, it, it doesn't ruin the experience for me. It's just, if you lined up every visual approach to cyborg ever, this one would be at the bottom of the pile for me. I just mm. don't, I, I get what they're going for. I understand it intellectually. It just doesn't work for me. This is uh, your Superman trunks or no trunks. It, it absolutely is. And it's like a to- thing of t- no substance whatsoever. But I'm always just like, no, I get it, guys. He's more machine than man right now. Cool. All right. But he looks weird. Um, <laughs> I liked, I liked, li- I loved that dark side was in this thing a big part of this thing i liked the little shot of granny goodness we got there i enjoyed desad popping up so much uh i loved that we dug into jack kirby's fourth world i wanted to i really wanted to get your take on this and this makes me so happy because i I know that the dark side thing is a big deal for you, especially yes. since you're you're um, you're more Marvel than you are DC. So like when you get excited about dark side, I'm like, okay, this is this is like his free bird for the DC. I, I really hope this doesn't <laughs> disappoint him. Um, I walked away from the movie just so overjoyed with. Th- th- the dark side of it all, the way that they deployed it, the character design, the voice acting, the peek throughs that we got, the threat, the presence. I think one of the closest things to, I don't, I don't ever want to use the word masterful for this movie, but like some of the, some of the, the better strokes of this movie were rooted in everything connected to the dark side machine. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. You know, and I'm going to say, and we'll, we'll dig into this. I, and I put this on Twitter and got a wide range of responses that I appreciated every one of them. The idea of evil Superman is really played out for me. And even when it's done well, right? So like, I think weirdly enough, one of the best versions of it, I don't know if you ever played the injustice video games. I didn't know. Um, it's pretty good. Um, I'm like the only comic book fan that doesn't play video games. <laughs> you'll like next one day you're going to come over and play this game with me. It's fun. You'll like it. Um, When it's safe to breathe the same air again. Right. Yeah. Um, it's got one of the better evil Superman stories, even when it's done well though. I just, this is just me. This is just my preference. I'm not saying good, bad or other. I prefer the bastion of hope Superman to the corruptible. Oh my God. What if he was evil thing? And so to that end, the nightmare that they keep flashing forward to is an inherently flawed premise for Jake. I'm not saying it is flawed, but for my enjoyment of it, there's an inherent flaw in it that Superman under the influence of the anti-life equation bores me. There it is. I said it, <laughs> but, but dark side and apocalypse and all of that were executed so well that I really didn't care that they were going with a trope that bores me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that for me, that says a lot. I thought that dark side was a believable threat. I thought he was used just enough the way we talked about for so long. Like, why would you go with Steppenwolf when dark sides out there? This made that make more sense to me. And while I think that Steppenwolf's spiky suit is a little weird, for a total redesign like I, I didn't hate it or love it i just thought it was strange i don't think his design was good in either iteration to be completely yes, honest exactly but and that's also it. maybe the steppenwolf piece would have been a little bit easier to swallow had this movie not been four hours 
See, that's man. And so, okay, let's like, we've so, been dancing around this. Let's dig in on it, man. Like, let's okay. get into the editing of it or the lack thereof. The lack thereof. So I don't know. I feel like I want to tread carefully too, though, because it's like sure. this, this is Zack Snyder's baby. And I don't want to be disrespectful to that for all of the reasons we've talked about on this podcast and in other episodes as well. Right. Um, it's no secret that this movie carries great weight for the man. But at the same time, um, 10% of the movie in slow motion is a is it's too heavy handed. It's a fascinating choice. Let's it, say that because because the best it, it's one of those things where like um, this is going to be a dumb analogy, but like I, I hearken this to uh, what I've heard my dad say a lot growing up. My dad is a collegiate choir director. And the thing that I've always heard him say more than most things when he talks about working with his groups and crafting music and everything is the, the big, bold moments of forte are only powerful if the other is not, if the other moments are not, right? And I say that to Dude, say that's like- That's not a dumb analogy. That's a great one. And so the moments of the slow motion that really would have played well in this movie were all devalidated to a certain degree because it was overdone so much in the movie, right? So if we're playing a percentage game, just take it down to 5% or 3%, and then those moments are much more potent. But the editing piece is, I know, I, I've said this on the podcast before, so I'm probably going to be contradicting myself where I've said it's like, it's so easy to just pick apart runtime, but sometimes you just need to pick apart runtime. This is a four <laughs> hour and two minute movie. And in my perspective, I, I don't want to be the guy that's just like, oh, I didn't like this and I'm not going to present any other alternatives. I think it's very clear what they could have done. I would have been cool with a movie that was two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes, which is still really long, by the way. Um, I would have been fine with that. And they could have trimmed off a bunch, probably mostly in the first two hours because yeah. they, re they really didn't need to take that long to get but, the gang together. You know, let me make some suggestions. Uh, some of my notes somewhere in Iceland, are those ladies still singing to Aquaman? Um, <laughs> what exactly are these bank bombers trying to accomplish? Couldn't they have just tied someone to train tracks and made the same freaking point? Also, uh, if <laughs> If we if we chop the slow motion in half, does that get rid of like 10 minutes in the movie right there? Uh, yeah. For that note, I just wrote schwa. That's <laughs> the sound they kept making. Um, did we need to see spiky Steppenwolf punish so many horses? Um, mm. I did like. OK, here's a good note. I really enjoyed that in this version, the legendary warriors of Themyscira did put up a great fight against Steppenwolf. Whereas in the they finally got their due, they finally got their chance to like do what they do. We saw this legendary warrior culture go to war and look like they know what they're doing, right? Like no joke. they looked like with enough time and preparation, they could have taken him and he just got the drop on them. How long was the nightmare sequence? If they would have just pushed that to the end okay, credits yeah. and not made that part of the movie, like, okay, so let's let's chop getting the gang together in half. <laughs> let's get rid of some of your shout outs there. Let's move the dream sequence to the end credits. And all of a sudden we've, what if we just trimmed off 45 minutes to an hour of that movie right there? Also, and, we, Mitch, and we haven't lost anything of substance. If I may, the company that took Ma Kent's house their phone number was 045 repo. Okay, that's a bit on the nose, even for a Snyder film, man. <laughs> okay, I'm out of notes now. That's, Ed, look, Wood, that's Ed Wood level that's clever. Ed Wood level. I, here's the thing, is that there's, there's a ton of stuff in there that I look at it and I'm like, that's cool. 
also though this is kind of why we have deleted scenes features right like because there's a lot of things that get left on the floor that we say that was a cool scene however the finished product is different than just a collection of cool scenes would it have been would it have been different had this been the theatrical version like if snyder got his theatrical version and then they could have just done what they've been doing with the blu-ray release which is like okay give us the two hour and 45 minute edition in cinemas then give us all four hours on the blu-ray four months later when it gets released this is a really good question that i struggled with a lot is how much of what i saw and and we addressed it at the beginning so i'm not going to go right back down into it but you one has to ask how much of what we saw here is influenced by the fact that snyder was editing for hbo max knowing that i mean maybe he even had me in mind people like me knowing that i could break it into four one hour segments using his chapter bookmarks Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. He's, he, well, it's literally called the Snyder Cut. I, yeah. That, I mean, I'm not saying that they should have done it differently. I would have probably done the same thing if I'm in a studio exec at HBO Max. They probably literally just said, dude, put exactly what you want on the screen. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I am going to say in defense of the runtime, and this is the only thing I'm going to say in defense of it, is that Snyder has indicated several times in interviews over the last couple of months that he had this philosophy of this is his last chance to put his vision up on the screen Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to leave anything behind. I mean, he talked about bringing Jared Leto in just so that people could see that version of Batman and the Joker on screen together after after not seeing it. And so he's, he's, been so he's pretty, at least admitted that it was blatant fan service that had no he, business no, he being in that movie. Has. He, <laughs> he all, but, I mean, he said it. He just said, he's like, well, I didn't think people got a chance to see those two characters together. And I thought we should do that. So it does seem that to a certain extent, his philosophy was informed by the, the medium and it was informed by the circumstances surrounding it that this is the last shot. So I, I'm with you that. If this is the theatrical cut, it's probably not the full four hours. Can't be. Can't yeah. Be. Well, that's just, you can't. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe we're just being too ignorant white guys, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the, the, the points. Working to t- title for this podcast. Right. No joke. But I feel like the, the points that could have tightened up this movie a little bit felt a little too obvious for it to not yeah. be the theatrical, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a, some studio exec would have been like, no, 4.3 is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they would have said, no, we don't need that extra 45 minutes in the first two hours. No, we don't need the dream sequence before the credits. Like, I feel like some of those things would have probably been said. Um, and again, that's not a detriment to the movie as a whole. Again, I liked it more than I didn't, but um, I think part of what makes it so frustrating is the fact that it's like, and not frustrating. This movie isn't frustrating, but what I'm saying is the movie's too long. That's not an inspired take. <laughs> no, but it did, but... it's too long because it didn't need to be this one. Like I would have been yes. fine with four hours of I really needed this. Um yeah. what I really needed was two hours and forty-five minutes of it. Well, because here's what I kept comparing it to. You you keep going to Hamlet. I keep going to the Lord of the Rings. And mm-hmm. either way, we're talking about two of the greatest literary works in human history. Absolutely. And while I would personally say that the creation of Superman is one of those moments, that also is not the same as saying we're going to try to squeeze more of Tolkien's vision into this film. Like, it's just not the same. It's apples and oranges, man. And it just, the runtime is egregious. Is it forgivable? Yes. Absolutely. 
but that does not change that it is egregious and unnecessary. So I guess what I'm saying is the runtime sucks. Zach, I forgive you. That's my point, <laughs> right? Like it's because because we're trying to find words to say we don't like it, but also we don't care. And that's really what it yeah. comes to because you're saying it's not frustrating. But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, I got kids. What are you doing to me here? And so, <laughs> But it, the thing is, is like I also want to I just want to make it clear to our listeners and, and, and to folks that like aren't you and me where we get to talk to each other all the time that it's not just because I had to sit through a long movie. Like, yes, I'm Mitch will sit through long movies we'll guys. Sit through long more movies, than like, anyone. I know. I keep using Brandis Hamlet as the, as the comp. Maybe I should clarify y'all that movie is one of my favorite movies. It's been one of my favorite movies since I was like 14, the time that I watched it for the first time. Um, and that movie's almost five hours long. And every time I watch it, I watch it in one sitting. I don't split it up. I'm, so I'm, I'm here to say that, like, I will buckle in when I when I've got reason to buckle in. And I think I think that that's where I'm at. But I can, can we can we say can we talk a moment? Can I go fanboy for a second? Oh, do it. Talk about so, the black suit. Yeah, dude. God, man. is that what it is? Is that's that exactly what, what it is? <laughs> I knew it. Oh, my gosh. Like, OK, so. There were it was a lot super cool, man. It was God, it was so badass. Um, there there were there were a lot of things about the the first edition of the Justice League that um left me upset. The thing I was the most upset about was that we never got a glimpse of the black suit because Cavill had posted it on Instagram. And as soon as I was like, oh my god, it's gonna be in the movie, I got so excited. <laughs> but like I okay, it's not a secret, Superman's my guy, okay. I, I'm I'm not completely objective when it comes to Superman. I understand that. So grain of salt, I guess. But like the way Snyder treated Superman in this movie was darn near perfect. Not just the black suit of it all, but I think the way they brought him back, the character arc, um, the the axe landing on his shoulder was just so badass. Like I I loved, 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 loved that this was the way we got to say goodbye to Snyder and Cavill Superman. And you cannot tell me that was not a goosebumps moment when the Fortress of Solitude doors open and he walks out into that dark silhouette and you see that he's in the black suit and then he kneels down to the superhero pose before he takes off. Jake, damn it, that moment inspired me. I got goosebumps. It was fantastical. They played the Hans Zimmer subtle swelling music underneath when he and Lois get reunited in the cornfield. It was perfect. He saved the day at the end wearing his amazing black suit that looked just, um, ah, all of it was spectacular. And I'm like, that was the dark dark side was fantastic as well but like with dark side being in the movie and superman getting this treatment that was the closure i needed as a fan who enjoyed snyder's movies more than he didn't who would stand up for cavill superman um even acknowledging the flaws of those films like man of steel is a seminal mo movie for me as a superman fan and, and everything but like I got the closure I needed as a dedicated Superman fan and as an apologist for Zack Snyder movies. I got the closure I needed. I think, you know, man, I'm so glad I, and I, I, when I saw him come out in the black suit, which we all know is going to happen in this version, it's not like I was surprised, but I did. Um, I think Elise may have fallen asleep at that point, And I was just like, <laughs> well, that wasn't Mitch like the so psyched. <laughs> 
I know. I literally tweeted it out at like one in the morning <laughs> when I watched it. Cause I was like, I'm not waiting for a time when everyone's going to see this. I'm going to do this right now because I'm really excited. I, you know, can I, can I piggyback? And it's certainly not the level of excitement, nor uh, I agree with everything you're saying there. I really enjoyed one thing we've talked about is the anger people had over, and I will admit it was jarring and weird, but I don't think anger is the word for how I felt about it. Batman just straight up massacring a warehouse full of dudes in Batman versus Superman and just kind of being like, whoa, hold up. Isn't he the guy that doesn't use guns? Nope, nope. He uses guns all right. Um, (laughs) And I I say all that. Because he's been freaking Affleck. Well, that's just the arc works now that i have seen it resolved yes it does not make batman versus superman better for me but it makes that arc work where his his demeanor is believably changed he's an he's a man who was broken and is now inspired and he's on a mission and he's driven in a good way and frankly more of that is what we need in our batman interpretations these days because the same way that I get like, it makes more sense for Batman, but the same way that I get bored by, uh, you know, corrupt, corrupted Superman. I also have a limit to how much dark and brooding tortured Batman I can take. There is a point where it's like, okay, dude, maybe you have to have made one step towards healing in the last 40 years, or maybe not healing, just like growing up. Like exactly. I feel exactly he, that's Bruce, the word for it. Bruce Wayne grew up in this movie. Yes, and, and that's and, just it. And he need and he needed it because we everyone left Batman versus Superman. Even if you didn't like the movie, everyone left Batman versus Superman going. Well, hey, at least Affleck was awesome, right? Yes. Like, and so, down. and I'll, this is another great comp. So I can mention another family member. I guess this is just what I'm going to do in the show. Um, <laughs> my my brother is a huge Batman fan. And so we've just, I've always grown up with us kind of dueling over who was going to be the better superhero. And even though Batman's not a superhero, he's a vigilante, but um, like he's, he's one of the biggest Batman fans in my circle. Right. And I'll, I remember um, him leaving the first justice league movie, just so disappointed because he said that was the first time he went to the movies to see Batman and he left feeling like Batman was lame and it made, it made him so upset. And, and, (laughs) And what I love about this Snyder version is we didn't have that. We literally were given more real estate to see that um, Batman, like, because it's it's tough to be Batman in that group, right? Oh, yeah. Every, everyone is a super-powered alien or Greek goddess or underwater king of some kind, and he's just a billionaire with a, um, or a harpoon gun of some kind, right? And so, like, it's tough to stand up next to those folks, but I think Snyder threaded that needle perfectly well of giving Wayne the maturity he needed, but also giving Batman the agency to still contribute meaningfully to the high stakes moments too. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. I really like, you know, and he's like, he's almost cheerful, which is never a Batman you see, but he's believably so right. Like he's yucking it up a little bit. He walks, he's like, this is Alfred. I work for him, you know? And he's, he, you know, everybody got, got crazy about the faith, Alfred faith, you know? And like, but the thing is, it's all believable. This is who Bruce Wayne is when Clark Kent is in his life. And that's that's the thing is he totally believed that the change was, was um, brought about by watching a literal beacon of hope die in front of him. Yes. And, and that's, and his, his decision that I screwed up, 
now I have to go be better for him mm. is on brand Batman. It's mm-hmm. exactly. And that's, that's the Batman. I don't care if he's dark and tortured. That's fine. I don't care if he's sad a lot, but when we, when we reduce him to just being tormented and nothing else, we lose the thread that what really matters about this character and why so many people identify with him and look up to that character is because his decision is, I must be better because. Mm -hmm. And he refuses to be beaten down to the worst version of himself, which is ironic that so many writers want to reduce him to the worst version of himself as just this angry kid beating people up over mom and dad. So all of that to say, I... I needed more of Bruce and Clark together. I don't know how you make that happen. I'm not saying that it's feasible here, but I can we give them a CW show that just, I need more world's finest, right? I need (laughs) Batman and Superman just having a bro down, right? Like one of the best, best Batman comics I've read in the last decade is this issue when Batman and Catwoman are engaged to be married and they go out on a double date with Clark and Lois (laughs) And it's the most, (laughs) it's so human, right? And it's so good. And there's this, and it's like all about Batman trying to work up the nerve to show some emotion and ask Clark to be his best man. Mm -hmm. And, and there's this, this, and I'm, I'm going to get off on that and we don't need to, it's just like, but it's one of the few times you actually get to see Bruce be believably earnest, but that's just, it is that that's what Superman, there is no greater Testament to the icon of hope that Superman is when he's at his best than at who he makes Batman. He can, he can make Batman turn off the Hawthorne Heights. Like that's a big deal. That's exactly it. So all that to say, I love the little scene at the end where he buys the farm back for him. Um, or he's like, you know, I bought the bank. I bought the bank. <laughs> and it's just such a great Clark and Bruce moment. And I need, I need more of that. That's one thing I'd love to see. I'm so glad you brought that into the space because you are, you, you spent way more time thinking about it than I did, but I, I it's, it's incredibly important. And one of them, I think maybe one of the cornerstones of this movie is the justice that they brought to Batman. So you, you capture that perfectly. Can I, now that we've definitively reached the quote unquote end of the Snyder verse of this all, can, can I then just make a statement that I was hoping I wasn't going to have to make during the justice league? Do it. Um, somehow they found a way in three movies to make one of the most inspired casting decisions they could have made and absolutely squander any opportunity they had to cash in on that opportunity and that can, is, can I guess? Yes. Amy Adams. Yes. Yeah. Five-time Academy Award nominee, arguably the most versatile actress working in American cinema today, not named Viola Davis. Amy Adams as Lois Lane is so ridiculously on the nose that you almost are painful trying to think about that level of perfection. And in three movies, she got like maybe two moments to really be Lois Lane. And at the end of all this, so Man of Steel was over two hours long. Uh, BVS Ultimate Edition is just under three hours and Justice League is four hours. So we're sitting here and in none of, in none of those frames were we given a chance to really celebrate the fact that Amy freaking Adams was Lois Lane in three movies. Here's, so we're coming up to what, 
really gripes me about the nightmare and about, and I, I don't want to go, how is Lois Lane supposed to be the center of everything when they won't give her any camera time? Here's the thing. I, I don't want to go too far down this trail because this is movies that didn't happen. And I no longer say for sure, but probably <laughs> won't happen. The um, antimatter edition is coming, Jake. It just, <laughs> Better be damned. It's going to happen. Snyder's gone out and done this press tour where he's talked about what was coming in the next two movies. And he's been really clear that movie two is going to have this pivotal moment where Batman failed to save Lois. And then after her death, Superman was so distraught that he was vulnerable to the anti-life equation. And so in that scene where he's holding a skeleton and Darkseid puts his hand on his shoulder... That's all that's all indicative of that, right? Mm -hmm. Are have we talked on here before about the women in fridges trope? We have when it comes to the X-Men movies and a little bit with Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange was another huge one of yep. this, right? Like they had Rachel McAdams in that and movie, never, never used her. Um, and then the X-Men movies we 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 mentioned during X-Men month, like that's that's one of the lasting legacies of those movies, is how poorly they treated the ridiculously talented like Halle freaking Berry, everybody. <laughs> so not only that. is Halle Berry talented and an Oscar winner, but she was playing arguably the best X-Men. And they were just like, you know what? Just go look pretty in the corner. That's, I mean, that's just it. Like lightning strikes a toad. It, it blows up story. Yeah. Over. So anyway, yes, we, we, we've, I, we've talked about the concept multiple times. For those who are unfamiliar, the concept is, is basically the idea it comes from a story a green lantern story where kyle rayner was motivated to become a hero by his girlfriend being murdered and stuffed in a refrigerator um, and it is the idea that in comic books there is a tendency to reduce female characters to just motivation for male characters um, i worry a great deal that as little as she's been given to do in her three movies, that if that fourth movie ever happened, we have, we've basically fridged Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that that's nigh on blasphemy. Uh, that's, that's pretty rough, man. Lois and Lane is about as iconic of a legacy character as you can find. And she has grown over the last century into from from the original woman in a fridge she has grown to one of the most empowered women in comics Absolutely. and there she's even anchoring her she's even anchoring her own run yeah. right now and the thing is and that's that's not the that's not the remarkable thing the remarkable thing is her lineage her evolution yeah. oh, absolutely. where she where as exactly as you said she started off as the woman in the fridge and now here we are all these decades later and we're saying yes give her her own comic run because she's that amazing and so here's what i think i realized bugs me about the Snyder take on Superman. And I, and I like, I, I don't hate it, but there's always been something off about it for me. And one thing I think, and this is not, please hear me, internet and world. This is not to say, oh, boo-hoo, the women in fridges thing hurts men too. That's not my point. However, lazy writing, which is what women in fridges is, lazy writing hurts all the characters hurts everything it hurts the credibility and of the movie it hurts absolutely. the strength of the plot but like and, and the old and the thing that really sucks about it too is like we couldn't give 
Amy Adams at minimum one scene in each of the movies to really let her Amy Adams-ness go. But we sure could find time to put her naked in a bathtub in the second movie. Like it just that that's the shit that is ridiculous and inexcusable. And that's just and so when we do that, we reduce again, the real victim is Lois. I'm not trying to say, but the secondary victim is Clark, who has now been reduced from a character with his own agency who is a symbol of hope because that's who he is to this guy who just was really into his wife. So I take issue with the potential future fridging of Lois Lane. That's all. And I'm going to leave it there because, you know, we can agree that it's a missed opportunity with Amy Adams. And beyond that, I don't want to go too far into what Snyder says would have happened because the reality is it didn't happen. But if that is truly where this was ending up, I think he's a better storyteller than that. And I think that audiences are smarter than that. And I would hope that we would find another way to do, to execute. Absolutely. There is no reason this may be hyperbolic, but I'm, I'm mad now. So there's no reason why we (laughs) wouldn't be looking at this. If all was right in the world and things were fair and people treated opportunities the way that they should have and, and, um, giving equal opportunity was actually a thing and not just lip service. There's no reason why we shouldn't be sitting here saying Amy Adams as Lois Lane was as perfectly deployed and cast as Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Like the pairing of the character and the actress was so spot on. There is no reason to bring in that heavy level of um, credibility only to squander the opportunity. That's it. I mean, there it is. That's it. So I, I don't want to put that, put a dampen damper on all of our conversation, but like, right. I, 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 well, I, here's the thing is I was hopeful. I was like, I've got four hours here and that's just it. I was like, I, I hopefully I was like, I was really Jake. I went into this movie really hoping that the closure we got with Batman and Superman, I was also going to be able to say the same thing about Lois Lane, because again, I was like, we didn't get it at, at any point. And I was like, why, why do we have Amy Adams if we're not going to use her? Like, let me, let me go ahead and make a suggestion for the third Snyder cut whenever it comes out. How about we just turn every scene of Aquaman throwing trash into the ocean? My God, dude. So angry at the Atlanteans that he's just also, are there just like Jason Momoa shirts washing up all across the Atlantic? I know, right? Or where does he find them underwater? He keeps like, rip, dude, throw out this whiskey bottle. Here we go with that shirt. And, and take all the scenes of Jason Momoa throwing trash in the ocean and turn them into Amy Adams scenes. Done. There, there it is. Boom. There it is. There Character it is. developed. Gosh, even if you love the four-hour runtime, that keeps your four-hour runtime intact. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. At this point, in for a penny, in for a pound. Make it a four hours and 10-minute runtime. I'll deal. Can we talk about the Momoa shirt situation? So the, the again, Zack Snyder, nuance is not a thing. I get that. <laughs> that I don't go to his movies for nuance. And I just no. for record, I own almost every single one of his movies on my shelf. Okay. I'm a fan. All right. But the thing is, is the second time Momoa comes out of the water to save somebody. All right. He's wearing a black cutoff shirt. <laughs> He takes it off when he's done before he goes into the ocean. <laughs> so, so did he put the shirt on in the ocean? Because if, <laughs> if he's no, because if he's entering the ocean, 
taking his shirt off because he doesn't like to be encumbered upon. They didn't have any encumbrances when he goes in the water. Then why did he come out of the water wearing one? <laughs> it's a good question. But that's not as absurd as the blatant whiskey bottle littering in right? the ocean. Aqua, Aquaman littering in the ocean. Jake, I, I, I can't. I can't. The only explanation I've been able to come up with is that this is pre- reconciliation with atlantis and that he's just i think it fits the character to say that he's that annoyed and that petty that he's like screw you volko you know and jake you're just you're justifying this stop it oh no i'm just trying to explain what i said to my (laughs) wife when she asked the same question she's she did she's like wait isn't he aquaman isn't his wait why is he throwing so much trash in the water and you know, and now he's accepted his place as the king of Atlantis. So we can assume now that when he comes up to visit his dad, he's leaving trash on the ground. Re- recycling it. Yeah, that's his thing. Just Maybe. throw it out. Good God. <laughs> I just. That it was the most extra moment, maybe. It is. The, the, it, or maybe that's a Twitter poll, as we should say. Which was the most extra? The shirts and the littering from Aquaman or the 10.35% slow mo? <laughs> I that's a great question. Um, man, this episode's already going really, really long, but we haven't even talked about the flash. Um, my only other gripe about this movie was that, um, I think the slow motion was a disservice to the flash, maybe because it was overused. Mm -hmm. I, I very rare. I had to remind myself almost every time he was doing it on screen that he was running fast. Well, that's just it. Like, that's a cool visual effect for showing what it would be like to be moving at super speed. And the moment where the crazy just woke up Superman turns and looks at him is pretty cool. But if you show somebody in slow motion, so what's 10% of four hours, you know, I mean, if you show, show somebody in slow motion for that much time, I'm going to start associating them with slowness instead of flashiness. And yeah, that's exactly it. And I'm it's, not suggesting they need to borrow that, that they need to steal it completely exactly the same way. But like the, the example was already established with Quicksilver where like yes. at, at minimum, give, give me both at the same time. Yeah. Any, anytime Quicksilver had a moment, which if look at anybody on Twitter, they love those moments. Anytime Quicksilver has a moment where he's exhi- exhibiting his powers, you have just as much time with him moving quickly as you do have the hyper slowdown. Um, but I also, I think Ezra Miller would be the only one I would recast out of this one too. And he got a lot more real estate in this movie and it didn't sell it for me. Yeah. I I'm glad you say this because I, it's tough because I don't think he did a bad job. I just think that he was, I think he was surrounded by a bunch of heavyweights Mm -hmm. and he wasn't quite in their arena and i don't know but the thing is then i always come back to but wasn't that the point of the character so maybe he just did his job well maybe and so i don't know i i struggle with it because i think i see what you're saying and i agree with it but then i also keep talking myself out of it that's fair that's fair and and the reasons you're bringing are completely valid i did think though of our our good internet friends the rambling geek podcast shout out to the rambling geek podcast um they mentioned this on their latest episode when they were reviewing the the previous justice league movie said that like um 
One of them was like, they had a hard time buying the Ezra Miller flash, not necessarily from the performance, but because he was so zany and quippy. And that seemed to be more Wally West than Barry Allen. Okay. Which is an interesting take from the start. I have asked, and, and again, I never want to be that guy who's like, oh, he should have red hair. I like, <laughs> I whatever, you know, like, but I do want to say there is a Flash who is zany and quippy. And would it have been that hard to just swap the names, you know? Like, couldn't we have just said, this is Wally? Also, if Batman's been a superhero for, or vigilante, excuse me, for this long, then uh, why can't we say, that we're on our second flash, you know, what would be so hard about Barry is in retirement or dead, you know, to be comic accurate. And now Wally's out there. And I, I wonder if there just wasn't maybe some plan to eventually replace Barry with Wally, you know, because Barry originally dies in a giant justice league crossover and fighting the anti-monitor. And so I wonder if maybe there wasn't, some thought that we have to start with Barry in case we ever want to tell the anti-monitor story. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know either. I don't have the answer to it. Yeah. I don't know that anyone does, but it's a good point that I thought of. And, and as somebody who grew up on Wally West and then found out about Barry Allen, I would not complain about a Wally West flash movie. Give Wally some more spotlight y'all. But you know, Um, that's the thing about the last two years is we're just taking any chance we can to the last decade. We're just kicking Wally every time we can. (laughs) Let's let's pivot. I, I have a couple more things I want to cover, and then we will eventually end this episode. Um, <laughs> I, we've got to talk about Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. Like, I, I legitimately think she was one of the winners of this movie, and we can't rant about the Amy Adams piece and not at least salute the one chance that we had to see a woman be amazing in this movie. Yeah. Um, Wonder Woman is... And this is one thing that Snyder's been consistent on the entire time in his interviews and the way he's portrayed in the movies and everything like that. And I really appreciate that, which is she is a leader and in not just of the sense of the superpowers that she has, but she, she is a good balance between Batman and Superman, but she has every reason to be front and center. She is, she is a leader. She is a warrior. And the way that they have captured her on screen, even in Wonder Woman 1984, which that movie was incredibly flawed, but the action sequences were fantastic. Like Gal Gadot in that role and the way that they are framing that character just feels like all of the best parts of cinematic comic bookery, if that makes sense. Like she represents everything that you would potentially want a comic book movie to lean into when it comes to putting a powerful character front and center in the most heroic sense. This movie belongs to Wonder Woman just as much as it belongs to anybody else. I I appreciated the, the approach from the Snyder Cut to, I don't even want to say remove because it's just restoring what was originally going to be there, but basically to remove the weird B plot with Batman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't think that, I just didn't think it worked. You know, I mean, but what did in the Whedon version? That felt that felt more like a Hollywood trick to be like, we need people to be more interested. So add yeah. this. And, well, and, it, and that's not necessarily something we needed. It, it, I felt like that weird back and forth between them in the original version really did detract from both characters and the way these things go, Batman had enough other awesome moments that, yeah, I, I in the same way that Themyscira got to have 
an awesome fight scene and stand on its own. I love Wonder that Woman so much. Got, yeah, and Wonder Woman got to stand on her own. She got to just be Wonder Woman, not Wonder Woman in relation to Batman and not Wonder Woman playing off of Bruce Wayne. She mm. got to be Wonder Woman. And I, I think that that was greatly to the benefit of that character. It's and the perfect I think way to that, put it. Yeah, I so I, I think that it's, and it's not even that, you know, there was certainly that undertone of romance with the Bruce Diana thing in the old version, but I didn't even think that's what it was necessarily aiming for. It's just that untangling those two characters and letting them have their own arcs allowed her to stand a lot taller. Mm-hmm. And it did away with a lot of that inadvertent stuff that women suffer from in these kind of movies where, you know, you didn't set out to diminish the woman, but by God, that's what you did. And letting her stand on her own did just that. And Godot has proven on multiple fronts that um, she has the shoulder strong enough to carry something this Herculean. Oh yeah, and that and that that's a testament to her and her alone, her talent, her prowess, her everything. Um, she 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 captures that character so well. So, Jake, here here's a question that may be hard to answer: Can we view this movie as just a movie, or what's the legacy of the movie, or is the legacy of the movie destined to be? more about the Snyder cut movement than it is just a movie. Does that make sense? Can we separate the two? Like looking back on this, you know, five years, 10 years from now, and and maybe it's an unfair question. Maybe the movement is the story. Um, But like, I don't know, like part of me wants to sit here and say, I want to view the movie one way just on its own. But the other part of me is saying it's a disservice to everything that happened to how we got to this movie. Right. And so I'm wondering, like, when we when this movie's talked about 10 years from now, it's getting talked. I, I'm wondering if the release, the Snyder cut of it all gets talked about more than the actual movie. Uh, here's what I foresee. Uh, I think I think, yes, it's an unanswerable question. But I'm going to go ahead and answer it. Yes. I think that, that's what podcasts are for. Yeah, man. It's all about just BS. And um, that sure is some content. <laughs> um let me let me make a few predictions first of all uh anyone who owns the weed and cut of justice league hang on to it it will be a collector's item because i have a copy i think down the road we don't know that exists i think we stop saying i think we do but it's like i think it becomes in a very different way like the original theatrical cuts of star wars or the star wars christmas special hey man yeah which Hey, I've got a copy. Um, I do want to point out that I did not buy my copy of Justice League. It was a gift. But anyway, I want to point out that I did buy my copy of the Star Wars Christmas special. It was a gift from me to me. (laughs) Um, The the thing is, like, you know, you can't find the original Star Wars versions anymore without Jabba the Hutt added in episode four and without um, you know, you can't find a copy where Hayden Christensen isn't in the final scene. and Not unless you still have a VCR. Yeah, if you want to watch Han shoot first, you can't find it. Like, even if you've got the VCR, you can't go out and buy a copy anywhere. They're, they've become nearly mythical, which is insane because I remember being a kid and every Walmart had like six displays of those things. Um, all that to say, I think that over the next decade, as you know, it's already become wildly apparent which cut is preferred by the general public as Joss Whedon's once sterling reputation continues to just plummet. I I think that 
we we're going to see the studio quietly just close the door on the the theatrical cut at some point i think they're going to stop calling it that and just be like oh yeah the other version um i think that for a long time it will be impossible to untangle this version of the movie from the story around it but i do think that down the road you know maybe when my kids are in their 20s or something they'll be like oh yeah didn't there used to be a different justice league movie and i'll get to kind of share the story and explain all that i think we'll get there but it's going to be a good long while it'll be really interesting to see and i and maybe it's i say it again maybe it was an unfair question because i don't want to diminish like (laughs) i said it before this represents both the best of what the internet can be and the worst of what the internet can be. And it's just a real interesting artifact in the, in the greater zeitgeist and pop cultural um, canon that we have here. Um, but, but you may be onto something. The star Wars comparison is apt. I think that's well, an apt one. Also let's compare it to some of the things we named at the beginning, you know, take like blade runner Everybody knows that there's like six versions of it, but nobody gets together to watch the theatrical release of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to find the final cut. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it'll be one of those things where people will remain aware of it, but the public, I, I do think eventually the public awareness of this film will fade in a good way to just the film itself. And it will be judged just on its own merits in the long run. And I think it'll be judged positively. It will be side note. Where do you stand on Blade Runner? Do you like the inner monologue or do you like it without the inner monologue? I've never seen the original version. I have only seen the final cut because I am a bad nerd and I never saw Blade Runner until about 18 months ago. Wow. Okay. Then I will tell you, he's a, he's a robot right? Like obviously Harrison Ford's a robot. I have not seen the second Blade Runner and I really want to. And it's just, you know, that ever growing list. Save that for when we can breathe the same air again. I've got it on Blu-ray. We'll get together. We'll drink and we'll watch. Done. Okay. All right. So Jake, Justice League. Justice League. It's so, there's so much here. And I still feel like even after this Herculean episode, we still, there's so much we didn't cover, but like, it's almost cliche to say final thoughts, but like how maybe it's better to say this. How would you right now, like realistically, how would you summarize the everythingness of the Zack Snyder justice league? Not just the movie, but how, how would you summarize what it has been like to get a front row seat to all of this? And then to walk away also saying like, you know what, that movie was pretty good. And it gave me some good needed closure that I wasn't aware I needed. I think it's been absolutely insane. I, on this very podcast about a year ago, went on record saying that I did not think the Snyder Cut would ever be released and that I thought it was a colossal waste of time to want this. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be wrong. I'm really glad. I think that at the end of the day, while all the discussing and all of the, the, the theorizing and everything is fun, when you get right down to it, I think that movies deserve to stand on their own. They should be viewed in context, but also they should be themselves. So when you pull it out of the whole Marvel versus DC pissing contest, and when you pull it out of the that not Marvel and DC don't seem engaged in just the people on the internet. Um, when you pull it out of the narrative about studio meddling, and when you take this thing and you just say, here's a movie 
it had a weird story to get released and what we've got now is the director's original version for something that a studio screwed up hope you like it i think you walk away with a good movie and i think that ultimately what more could we want we got to watch in an entertaining fashion the justice league come together and beat the crap out of one of dark side's minions and man that's awesome wonder woman friggin decapitated stephen wolf she was- straight up cut that man's head off and kicked it right through the portal to dark side so he could stop curb stomp it that <laughs> was amazing freaking fatality right there at the end i i think that when you when you you detangle it as much as you can and just give yourself as much as is possible this thing in a vacuum i think it's good and i think you've got something fun and i'm glad i've seen it i hope to one day have the time to see it again (laughs) maybe when your kids are out of the house and you could sit it all watch it all in one sitting Um, (laughs) but yeah that's the thing is i jake we have an interesting history with Zack snyder on this podcast Yes, we do. Our very our second episode. A lot of it's my or, fault that I'm. Maybe it was our third like, episode. It is your fault. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna <laughs> throw you under the bus there. <laughs> it was either a second or third episode of this very podcast. We opened up the Zack Snyder can of worms, and ever since then, you and I have waffled back and forth about can we even say anything definitive about the guy's work that seems to be so polarizing. But um, it's it's been a fascinating conversation, um, and here we are. Damn it, Jake. I think, and you know what? The internet didn't go as ablaze as I thought it was going to as far as toxicity was concerned after this thing. I mean, there was some of it there, but not nearly to the degree that we saw with Wonder Woman 1984. And I thought it was going to be way worse than that. So like, I'm wondering, Jake, is, is the greater pop cultural conversation better off having this triumphant experience at the end of it. I think we might be. I think so. And and so all that to say, I'm really sorry, gang. I'm not down with the save the Snyderverse thing. I think let this be the end, guys. It's been so weird. Unless Zack Snyder gets up and says, I really want to make the next two movies, then I might change my mind. Yeah, how about how about we let Zack call the shots? Let's just let's enjoy what we've been given and let's not get ridiculous, right? Let's just that's just it. If this is the period at the end of the sentence, then or the punctuation at the end of the sentence, it's an exclamation mark, man. It is and it's a good one. And this is and it's the one that Snyder good word. And it's the one that Snyder would clearly be okay with. He wouldn't be at this point. I don't think he would be walking away unless he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable. Like I'm, I'm content. Here's the other thing. And I said this online right before it came out, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, whatever you think of it, there is a human story here where a family was hurt and not just hurt. They were irreparably devastated. like devastated. Like take everything else out of it. A tragedy occurred that resulted in an artist having to step away from his work and let someone else finish it. And for Zack Snyder to be given the opportunity to come back and put his vision back out there is a triumph that we should all be able to get behind. And whether you liked Mm -hmm. this movie or didn't, 
we should all be cheering for Zack Snyder right now. Absolutely. And so as someone who did like the movie, I'm cheering even louder. And I say, good for you, Zack Snyder. I, I applaud this. I think this is well-deserved and well-earned because he has behaved with grace and humility through this whole insane process. He has been gracious when he didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And he has been a champion of the right people and the right things from what I can see. And the real winner at the end of the day, because we always like to talk about winners on this, the winner is Zack Snyder. Absolutely. This represents the best of what the comic book culture can be. There it is. The Zack Snyder Justice League, it is here. It has made an impact. And I think I think we're better for it. And Oh, oh yeah, we had no idea what to expect about that going in as far as this podcast is concerned. And that's pretty remarkable. Thank you, Zack Snyder, for all that you have done and all that you have put up with in the fandom realm, because holy crap, but man, and there's certainly a lot of closure to be had. There's a lot of goodness to be found there. There's some stuff that could have been improved, but how could it not with a four hour movie, but it's, it's here and it's bold and it's, it's generous and it's, it's boisterous. Like here we are, man, like living in this operatic arena. And at the end of the day, we were entertained as hell. And that's pretty cool. Um, and black suited Superman. We got black suited Superman. Uh, it was fantastic. But anyway, hit us up everybody on Twitter at watch comics pod. That's comics with an X. Let us know what you thought about Zack Snyder's justice league. We know you have takes Twitter is the land of takes hit us up and we will share ours as well. So yeah, we want to hear from you on Twitter. Of course, uh, shout out to all of you listening to this podcast. If you dug this episode or if you dig this show, we would love it if you gave us a rate or review on whatever pod platform you are listening to us on. It's a great thing to do. Nice way to pay it forward. And it'll also help other people find us along the way, which we think might be kind of cool. And if you do us that favor, we promise to give you a lifetime supply of free high fives. Who could say no to that deal? And of course, shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network. It is a wonderful place to call home. Everybody, we loved this discussion. We loved this movie. Hit us up with your takes. We'll be coming at you next week with some stuff on Falcon and the Winter Soldier because that was another property that dropped here recently. Busy week. We'll talk to you then. 